Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6 this morning. Mark chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 30 through 44 in the Scriptures today. We finished chapter 5 last week, and so we're moving ahead to chapter 6 this week. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that he had done, that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Jesus, you're the bread of life. Uh, You satisfy our souls. All who partake of you uh, cease to hunger and cease to thirst. And Lord, you're everything that we need. Lord, you're everything that we need for, uh, for forgiveness and for salvation and for righteousness and for our stress and for our anxiety and for our problems and our fears and our difficulties and our health and our trials. Jesus, you're everything for every need for everyone. And we give you praise for that. And Lord, we... We want to be sent out just like you sent the disciples out, Lord. And so, God, we know that we're going to need compassion. We're going to need a a relentlessness to come back to you, God. We can't do it on our own. Uh, We don't have anything to give. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to to reach the world um, in ministry for you. Father, speak to our hearts today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to bring you up to a little uh, speed, we kind of finished chapter 5 last week. And... uh, um, so we skipped a couple passages in chapter 6. So we skipped about the first, I don't know, 18, 20 verses or so. And during those verses, what happens is Jesus sends out his disciples two by two to minister. Okay, you know, It's always Jesus' plan, never for us just to be consumers. Okay, The disciples have been, uh, been fed by Jesus. They've been taught by Jesus. They've been ministered to by Jesus. And now it comes a point where he's like, all right, guys, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to go out two by two. So he, he pairs them up and he sends them out into the Galilean countryside. He gives them authority over, over disease and over demons. And they teach and they, they bear witness of Jesus. And so he sends them out and then they come back. Okay. So they come back a couple days later and they're, they're excited. They're pumped up. They're, they're telling Jesus everything that they've done. In verse 30, it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And Jesus is excited to spend time with them. They've been ministering. They've been away. And so Jesus says, all right, guys, listen, we need to go away by ourselves and rest. We just need some time to unpack things. We need some time to clear our head, to pray, to kind of get, get strengthened back up for the mission. 
And so they get in the boat and they head over to the other side of the lake. You know, I was thinking about that and that's kind of something you don't hear preached a lot in most churches. You don't hear preached a lot. Hey, Jesus wants you to take some time to rest, you know. You don't hear that very much, do you? you basically what you hear usually is, hey, Jesus wants you to go. He wants you to serve. He wants you to work. But there are times where we need to rest. Now, depending on what time of life you're in is, is depending on whether or not you need to rest or not. Honestly, there's some people that do not need a command to rest, okay. They like have that one nailed, you know. I mean, if it's one command that they have like down in their life, they're like, man, I got that one. I'm resting, Jesus. You know, I, I've, I've got my my Cheetos and my armchair and I am go ban, you know. I'm, I'm resting, okay. So there's some people that don't need a command to rest. There's some people that need a command to work, you know. There's some people that need to get out in the mission field and do what God wants them to do. They need to be out ministering, out taking care of people, out loving on people, out, out serving for Jesus. There's other people that misunderstand what it means to rest. You know, there's some folks that I've talked to and, and when they, they, they almost use passages like this, hey, I just need a break. Listen, yes, you do need a break. You never need a break from Jesus though, okay? Does that make sense? When some people think about, okay, I need to take a break from some, I'm just really overwhelmed. That does not mean I'm going to take a break from praying or I'm going to take a break from the scriptures or I'm going to take a, a break from Christ-centered relationships or I'm going to take a break from worship. You never need a break from worship, guys, okay? You, you just don't ever need that. You don't ever need a break from your Bible. You don't ever need a break from, 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 from you, you know, being fed by the Lord, okay? You never need a break from your spiritual life, all right? In fact, your spiritual life is the refreshment that you need. But there are times when we're just given and given and given and investing and investing and investing where you're commanded by Jesus to pull away for a little bit, pull away for a day, pull away for an hour, pull away for some time and just be with the Lord. And I I was thinking about what Jesus tells these guys. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. And not only does he tell these guys, but he does this himself continually. In fact, after this passage, it says in verse 45, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus modeled this. And so here's, here's the truth. If Jesus had to take regular breaks away by himself to be with the Lord, and he commanded the disciples to do the same, shouldn't we make sure we do that? I'm talking to myself here. I was really convicted about this. If Jesus needed it, and the disciples were commanded to do it, do I think I can be healthy and not? You know? Do you think you can be healthy and not? I mean, we, we, need, we need time with the Lord away. Just pulling off for an hour, pulling off for a day maybe with a notebook and our Bible. Just to spend it kind of getting recharged and refed. Man, you need it. I know know we're shaking our heads. Yes, we need it. But how many of us are going to really do that? You know, how many of us are going to say, you know what? This stuff can just wait. And I'm going to go go off. Well, Jesus did. Jesus modeled that for us. He took time to be away with the Father in prayer and in the scriptures. So, that's what they do. So, they get in the boat, and they head to the other side of the lake. Now, they must be either at the, one of the ends of the lake. I'm not, I, I didn't look at this geographically. I'm kind of thinking they're at the south end of the lake. It's not very wide, you know. And, and, and so, so I, I, think, I think what happened was, is because it wasn't very wide at that point, you could actually make it across on the land faster, okay? So, they, so they say goodbye to everybody. Hey, guys, we're leaving. we got to get away. we got to unpack. We're going to go off. I'm going to you know, talk to the disciples about what happened. We're going to pray together. We're going to get recharged. We'll see you all later. And they get in the boat, and 
and they start going across, and there's probably not much wind, so they have to row. Well, everybody else says, yeah, later means the other side of the lake, you know. So they all take off around the edge of the lake, and everywhere they stop for a bathroom break, they pick up relatives, okay. And so by the time they get to the other side of the lake, there's this huge crowd. The same people that they just left. They, they, they left there to get away, and now when they get to the other side, there's no break there. Now all of a sudden, all the, the crowd is there. In fact, in chapter 6, verse um, 34, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now, let me ask you, how would you feel if, if you went to take your break? You know, you've been investing, you've been pouring into people, you've been serving, you've been giving of yourself, you've been all, all kinds of things demanded on you, pressure, 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 and you're like, okay, I need to pull away and take a little break. I need to pull away and, and just be with the Lord. And, and so you did that, and maybe you got your family together in your van, and you're going to go somewhere. And when you get there, there's everybody who's been demanding things of you right there. They're like, hey, we heard you were coming here, okay? Now, let me ask you in your heart of hearts, in all honesty, how would you feel about that? I've been taking this mind reading class. Let me try it. Okay, I got it. You'd be irritated, wouldn't you? That's what you, that's what you just said. I read your mind. You'd be irritated. You'd be, you'd, so you'd be angry, right? Let's, let's, let's take it a little past irritation. You'd be angry, right? You'd be like, man, we've just been investing. I've just been giving. And now they're here, you know. I've made them suffer four times another, you know. And they're back and uh, you'd be angry. Maybe, maybe you'd be frustrated. Maybe you'd be overwhelmed. And, and those are all real feelings. I get that. But, I, man, I want you to notice the glory of our Savior. Look at the scriptures. It says in verse 34, when he went ashore and he saw a great crowd, he had, it's a very interesting word, compassion. You see that? Compassion. I don't know about you, but I want to go ahead and put myself down that I need more compassion. I think it's something I don't have enough of. Uh, Compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is when you feel something on the inside Okay, it's an inward feeling about somebody else's pain, somebody else's distress, somebody else's mess. Okay, but it's not just a feeling. Okay, it is a feeling. I don't want to miss that. It is feeling somebody else's pain. It's seeing the pain of somebody else, the mess of somebody else's life, the distress that they're in, the struggle that they're in, the difficulty that they're in. Some of you were in joy on Friday night and you heard Mindy Harris give her testimony about her cancer. Man, I could tell many of you, man, you were just feeling inside just a compassion for this family that has been through such a struggle and such a trial. And you're feeling that on the inside. But listen, if the difference between just feeling something and compassion is compassion actually moves you. It, it's, a, it's a feeling that moves you to actually do something to alleviate that person's struggle, that person's pain, that person's difficulty, okay? If, if, if there is no action on the end of it, it isn't really compassion, okay? It, it's just sometimes maybe a nod because we know that it's the right thing to do. I do that all the time with my family and animals. You know, we, we were driving down the interstate coming back from our trip and there's this, there's this dog, this puppy dog, and this raining. It's in Alabama. It's just raining coming down. There's this puppy dog just going down the interstate all by himself, you know. My family, they all see it. They're like, oh, you know, dad, you know. And I said, oh, and I hit the gas, you know. Ain't do nothing about that. He's on his own, you know. That's not compassion, you know. And a lot of times, that's the way people do with with, with other folks, you know. It's just like, oh, you're having this. I'm so sorry. You know, there we go. You know, and there's no movement to actually alleviate the suffering. Compassion is an inward feeling that moves you to an action to alleviate the struggle and the pain of somebody else. And Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Even though they were demanding upon him, even though they had taken much from him, even though they were pressing 
pressing in on his life continually and constantly. And even though he had taken a much needed break from them, he still had compassion on them. Now I wonder what are the reasons that many times we don't. You know, what's the opposite of compassion? Well, you could say it's feeling nothing, right? You know, it's, it's, it's seeing the pain of somebody else, seeing the struggle that they're in, seeing the difficulty they're in, and, and we're just not moved at all. You know, we're just, we, don't, we, don't, we don't feel any kind of heartache for that person. And, and, and why might that be? Well, I think with some of us, it's an overactive sense of justice, okay? Now, please listen up, because I see this in a lot of people. An overactive sense of justice. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean, a lot of people have a, an overactive sense of, hey, you're in this mess because of your own fault. And, and let's face it, most of the time, that's true, isn't it? I mean, most of the messes in my life, I got to say, I had a little bit of a part in it, right? Now, maybe, maybe it wasn't all of it, but they're, they're most of mine, I, most of my struggles, I have somewhat of a part in that struggle, and that's just true. And that would have been true for these folks of Jesus' day, okay? So they're over there, it's late at night, they've got no food. You know what would have been really easy for the disciples to say? Hey, Jesus, if they're not smart enough to pack a lunch, then they, they, they don't deserve to eat tonight, right? I mean, that's what a lot of us would have said. Hey, you need to plan a little better. If you're going out into the wilderness and you ain't got any food, you ought to expect that you're not going to eat that night. Or how many times did they stop? Why didn't you pick something up at the grocery store? Why didn't you stop at United in Capernaum when you were coming around the lake, you know? Or how many of them might say, you know what, I've seen some of those folks. They could miss a meal anyway, you know? I mean, I mean that's the kind of talk... That we use, isn't it? I mean, that's the kind of things that we say. We say stuff like that, you know, and, and it, it alleviates our compassion. It cuts our compassion right out because we're saying, you know what? That's not my problem. They made this mess on their own. How many of those people in that crowd would be some of the same people in Jerusalem later on who'd be yelling, crucify me? It says it's a great crowd. There's a lot of people. We know there's 5,000 men, plus women and children. Isn't it likely that some of those same folks that Jesus has compassion on there would be some of the same folks that would be yelling, crucify me, crucify him later on? How many lazy freeloaders were in the crowd? There's probably some. How many of those cranky folks were there? That, that perpetual scowl people, you know, always bitter about it. There's probably some. How many arrogant, boastful people? There's probably some. Cool thing about that is it did not, it didn't take away Jesus' compassion. That's a good lesson, isn't it? You know, because sometimes we, we feel like, well, we give compassion when it's deserved. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think what it means for a lot of us is we give compassion when, when it's somebody who has a perfect life and they just happen to have this disaster that's come on them without no fault of their own. Well, you're going to be pretty compassionless mostly of your life then. Jesus had compassion. Okay, he had compassion. Sometimes our lack of compassion, honestly, becomes just, it comes just from being too self-centered. It's hard to feel somebody else's struggle when what we really care about and what we're focused on most of the time is me, you know? When, when it's all about my problems and my issues and my conveniences and I have a right to this and I have a right to that and I shouldn't be bothered by all of this and I'm tired and I don't feel good and I have a headache and I have, my house is a mess and I have a demanding job and I don't have any time. Ooh, when it's all of that, it's pretty hard, not, it's pretty hard to, be, to be empathetic toward others. 
Jesus had that stuff too, by the way. I, I, don't, I, I hate when people look at Jesus' life and think that, well, he had it better or easier than me. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. In fact, Hebrews tells us that he endured everything that we've endured, except without sin. In fact, if you'll notice right before this passage, you know, you know what it's about? We, we skipped it, but in the beginning of chapter 6, it's about the execution of John the Baptist. Okay? There's one guy in the world during this time that understood who Jesus was. One guy in the world that got his message. One guy in the world that would be kind of his, his, his buddy. He just got his head chopped off. You know, I mean, Jesus, Jesus went through stuff too. How awesome is it that Jesus has compassion upon us? Now, let's look at why. It says, it actually tells us why. It says in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Do you, do you realize how many times in the Bible that we are referred to as sheep? Okay, I think most of us honestly don't like that very much. Uh, most of us probably would not pick sheep to describe ourselves. Uh, sheep are not very smart. Uh, sheep are rather helpless. Uh, sheep are prey for almost everything. The only thing below a sheep uh, on the food chain is Winnie's dogs. That, that's it. Everything else <laughs> takes out a sheep. Uh, just little chihuahua. Well, I'm, I'm serious. They're, you know, they're hell. I mean, a sheep could probably stomp them, but that's it. You know, I mean, everything else, wolves and cougars and bears and lions and coyotes and big dogs, real dog. You know, I mean, they're all going to take out a sheep. Okay. Um, a sheep is a prey to almost everything. And, and, and most of us would not want to be thought to quit arguing. With most of us would not want to be, be thought of as sheep. Would we? How many mascots do you, how many towns pick sheep as their mascots? You know, I, mean, can you, I couldn't think of it. There's probably somebody out there, you know, the Arkadelphia sheep or whatever, you know, but not very many. What do we pick? We want to be lions or tigers or, you know, um, eagles or, you know, wolverines or, you know, bulldogs or pit bulls. We, we like to be that kind of stuff, stuff that can take care of itself, stuff that can defend itself. But Jesus over and over in the Bible says we're sheep. That's what we are. We got to be taken care of. We're dependent. Everything preys on us. And, you know, all kinds of things are gunning for us: abusive relationships, and drugs, and alcohol, and depression, despair, and poverty, and disease, and disability, and death, and sin. Sin preys on mankind. The bondage of lust, and pornography, and violence, and materialism, of worldliness, and condemnation, and pride, and hell, and eternal wrath, and loneliness, and, and insecurities. All of those things are pressing upon people. And here's the thing: Jesus saw that. When he looked out, that's what he saw. I think it's possible not to see any of that. I think it's possible to, to, to look around and say, you know what? Everybody's fine. I'm fine and everybody else is fine. You know, everybody on my block, they live in a nice house and, and they have a nice family. and They had a pretty wife and, and drive a nice car and they watch football on their flat screen. They're doing fine, Pastor. I wonder, though, if we're not seeing what we ought to see. I wonder if there's things going on behind the doors that, that, that we're not opening our eyes to. In fact, I really believe that Jesus wants us to look with, with open eyes at the world. I think the, the disciples, when they look at this crowd, they see a problem. I think when Jesus looks at this crowd, he sees sheep. He sees people that need to be taken care of, people that need to be ministered to. I think when the disciples look at them, they're like, hey, send them away. They can take care of themselves. Have you noticed in the Bible that the disciples on numerous occasions try to send people away from Jesus? 
Have you noticed that? Remember with the little kids, you know? There's some they're like, man, get these kids out of here, you know? I guarantee you one of those disciples was like, man, kids didn't act this way when we were little, you know? And I'm trying to get, get them out. We don't want, you know, remember the Syrophoenician woman? The woman who's begging at Jesus' feet for him to heal her daughter? And the disciples are like, Jesus, send her away. And here in, in this chapter, in verse 36, there's this hungry crowd. And the disciples are like, send them away. The disciples are irritated with them. They're, they're, they're tired of them. But Jesus sees something different. He sees sheep that don't have a shepherd. You know, I think how we look at our world is really important. Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 3 and 4 are interesting verses to me. I think they're, they're good verses. He says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, Let each of you look. I want you to notice that word. Look. Let each of you look. Not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of the others. It's the picture of where you look. And, you know, so many times we're just looking right at our own interests, you know, right at our own stuff, our own problems, our own struggles, our own difficulties, our own stuff. And Jesus says, man, stop looking just at your own interests and look, open your eyes, lift your eyes up to see the interests of others. And Jesus sees that. Notice what he says that sheep need. This is kind of interesting. Um, He says in verse um, 34, because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he does two things. First of all, he says, and he began to teach them many things. That's the first thing he does. And then he feeds them. Okay? So spiritual needs and physical needs. So he begins to teach them many things. You know what I believe sheep need more than anything? More than even bread? They need the bread of life. In John chapter 6, Jesus tells, or John tells us this very same passage. And then he goes ahead and unpacks the sermon that Jesus preached. And you know what the sermon that Jesus preached was? Let me, let me read part of it for you. We have it in the Gospel of John. Verse 35, chapter 6, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. What does that mean? That, that means he, he's my favorite part of it. He's the one who satisfies your soul. What does bread do? Bread satisfies us. We're all going to leave this place and we're going to immediately look for bread, right? Bread of some kind, right? Cinnamon rolls, hamburgers, you know, taco. We're going to look for some kind of bread. And we're going to look at it because we, we want satisfaction, okay? And so when Jesus gives us this image of I'm the bread of life, what he's saying is I'm the one that's going to satisfy your soul. Everybody on this planet is looking for satisfaction. People are looking for it in what they buy, in their bank accounts, in who they're with, in, in what kind of job they have, and what kind of influence they have, what kind of power they have. Everybody's looking for satisfaction. They're they're groping for it. And Jesus says, says, I am the bread of life. I'm the one that's going to satisfy your soul. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who comes to me will never thirst. Jesus says, I will satisfy you. I will give you life. And and, and so, so he tells them, these are sheep without shepherd. And immediately he begins to teach them. He begins to give them the truth. That's what sheep need. You remember when Jesus was, um, He rose from the dead and he goes and he visits the disciples and he comes to Peter. Remember what he says to Peter? He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, I love you. And he's all right. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Give my sheep spiritual food. Tell them about me. Tell them about the gospel. Tell them who I am. And he says the second time, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes, feed my sheep. Then the third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? At this point, Peter's getting frustrated. He's like, Lord, you know, what's wrong, you know? Do you have resurrection ears and they don't hear me or what? You know, you know that I love you. 
feed my sheep. Three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. What do sheep need? They need to be fed. They, they, they need Jesus. Now, it starts to get late, okay? So Jesus teaches them many things. Verse 35, it says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away. So the disciples' solution is, we got, we got to send these people away. They need to go away, okay? Verse 37 is, is a phenomenal verse. He answers and says to them, You give them something to eat. I'll let that sink in. The disciples, they're tired already. They've been away for several days ministering. They've come back. They, this was supposed to be their rest time. They get over there. There's this great need again, you know. And, and now it's late. They're saying, Jesus, tell them, tell them to go away. Tell them, tell them we, we just got to, you know, have some. We, there, there's too many of them. Send them away. And Jesus looks at his disciples, his, the people of God, okay, those who trust him. And he says, you give them something to eat. You. That's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Especially considering that Jesus knows they, they don't have any food, okay? Somebody, one of the disciples figures this deal up. He says uh, in verse 37, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? You know how much that was? Eight months wages. That would be 200 denarii. Eight months wages, okay? So whatever you make a month, multiply that by eight. Do you have that in your pocket? Can you buy dinner today with that? You know, I mean, nobody can do that. That's, that's a lot of money. All right? They're like, Jesus, what, what do you want us to do here? We, don't, we, don't, we, don't have, we can't feed this many people. You know, I was thinking about that. Jesus is always asking us to do stuff we can't do. Isn't he? Can't do it in our own strength anyway. Can he do that? Let me review some verses with you. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty big, isn't it? Love your neighbor with the same intensity that you love yourself. How about this one? If someone constrains you to go one mile, if that Roman soldier, that jerk comes, makes you carry his pack for a mile, interrupts your day, messes up your schedule, when you get done with that one mile... Go ahead and say, hey, sir, can I carry this dude another one? Anybody takes your cloak, give him your tunic as well. Guys, how about this? Love your wife as Jesus loves the church. Ephesians 5, 25. Impossible. Isn't it? We don't got it in us. Jesus is always doing stuff like that. Why is he doing that? Why is, he, why is he always telling us to do stuff that we don't, we don't got enough reach, so we don't got enough gas to do? Why is, he, why is he doing that? He knows that we don't have an answer. Well, let me tell you the reason why. The plan is this. He commands us to do something we can't do. So what we have to do is we have to take the little bit of meager whatever we have, which is usually not much in our tank, okay? And we bring that to Jesus. We bring it to him. He blesses it, and then he sends us out and makes it sufficient. Isn't that exactly what happened? Do you see that? That's exactly what happened, isn't it? What does he say here? And he said to them, how many loaves do you got? So in other words, what do you got? They're probably like, we don't got anything, Jesus. He says, go and see. So they go and see, and and they find out how much they got. 
And then, and then they bring it to Jesus. It's five, five loaves and two fish. And he commands them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, okay? So sit down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Now, now, folks, again, think about how much this is. This, this is a lot of food that's needed here for this, okay? We had, what, about 50 people enjoy the other night? And we had, we had three tables worth of food for 50 people, okay? Now, you multiply that by 5,000 men and their families. How many tables? I mean, man, think about what's needed here. And Jesus says, bring me what you got. Jesus, we got five biscuits and two fish sticks. That's what we got. Question. Just, just an aside. Did, did, did Jesus need some raw material to pull this off? Isn't he the one that spoke the galaxy into existence by the word of his mouth? So why does he, why does he have him bring him five loaves and two fish why you know i mean he's not a wizard you know a wizard needs raw material right for a wizard to do his spell he's got to have a toad ear and a you know a cricket tail and whatever not that i you know you know what i'm saying i mean it's just not that's not what he's jesus is not like man okay guys i could do this thing if you just get me some you know no why does he want him to i think it's a picture of us what do we do? We do? He, he, Jesus sends us out on this meeting. He tells us, you, you go take care of the world. And we're like, Jesus, we don't got anything. Bring me what you got. Okay, well, here's what I got, Jesus. Here's what I got. It's not much, but here's what I got. And then notice what he does. Okay, so he sets them down in groups, all right? Fifties and a hundreds. And then let's, let's read specifically here. Verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. The disciples served the meal. You see that? He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Okay? And he divided the fish among them all. So here's the picture. You got Jesus with, with five, the five loaves and the two fish that they brought to him. Okay? He's got them up there in a sack or whatever they came in. Okay? Uh, a cloth or whatever. And the disciples are doing what? They come to Jesus. Jesus gives Peter some, you know. And then Peter goes out into these groups of 50s and 100s and he gives it. And then he comes back to Jesus and Jesus gives him more. And he goes out and he gives it out and he comes back and Jesus gives him. I, mean, I don't know how many trips it would it take. There's 12 disciples. They're in groups of 50s or 100. How many groups of 50s or 100 are in 5,000? Well, you know, if they got in groups of 100, then there's, you know, 10 and 1,000. So there'd be 50 groups of them. So there's 12 disciples. So they had to go out at least, you know, 5 or 10 times a piece okay so they're they're coming back to jesus they're going out with food they're coming back to jesus they're going out with food they're coming back to jesus they're going out with food isn't that a isn't that an example of exactly what we're supposed to be doing in our life jesus calls us to do these things he calls us to love our family lead our family you know witness to the world share share with others meet needs and, and here's what we say we say jesus i don't got anything to give and he's like well give me what you got all right here's the little bit i got jesus and he sends us out then we go back to him. He sends us out. Man, that really, that really got to me. I thought, man, Jason, you got to keep coming back to Jesus. That's your deal. You got to keep coming back. You got the stuff that comes up in your life. You got to come to him. You got you to say, this is all I got, Jesus. You gotta, he's going to bless it. You go out in faith. You come back. You go out. You come back. You go out. You come back. You go out. And, and in the end... There's 12 baskets left over. Look at that. 43. 
42, 42, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. Why, why is there 12 baskets of leftover? That's awfully wasteful, is it not? Winnie would not like that. I'm sorry. Karen Martin would not like that. Our kitchen ladies, they'd be like, this is wasteful. We got to cut back next time. 12 baskets of leftovers. So why? Why, why did Jesus overshoot? You know, have you ever thought about that? I mean, if, if, if he's powerful enough to, to multiply five loaves and two fish and, and feed 5,000 people, then why, did, why overshoot and there'd be 12 baskets left over? Don't you think there's a point there? Don't, don't, don't you think there's a point about Jesus got more for you, don't you? That, that they came and gave the little bit they had to Jesus and he sent them out and then they met the needs of the multitude and when they got done... They still had leftovers. Let me read you a couple verses that really impressed me. One's in 2 Corinthians. We're almost done, too. I can tell you're getting tired. Verse 7. Listen, listen, listen. Each one must give as he's made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this is about giving, okay? And then in verse 8 it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And so, so Paul says here, as you give to the Lord, okay, as you take what little you have and you're being obedient to Jesus and you give to the Lord, what's it say? And God's able to make all grace abound to you so you have, a, you have all sufficiency for all things at all times for every good work, everything that God's going to call you to do. You go on and read there. It says, as he's written, he's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower. That's God. He's going to, sow, he's going to give you seed to, for you to sow, for you to invest in the world, and bread for food, and supply your multiply of seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here's my favorite one. It's Isaiah chapter 58. And he's talking to people who have darkness. He's talking to people who have gloom, who have difficult times in their life. And what does he tell them to do? Well, verse 10, he says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, make your bones strong. And you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. What's he saying to these folks? He's saying, if you'll just bring what you have to me and you'll trust me and you'll go out and you'll invest it in the world, you invest it in your family, you invest it in your spouse, you invest it in your neighbors, you invest it in your enemy, and you come back, you're always going to have enough. I'm enough for you. I mean, I I think Mark chapter 6 is is an example to us for ministry. And and I know what we're all going to say. Man, I ain't got nothing to give. I don't don't know how many times I hear people say that. Man, I'd love to, but I just don't have nothing. No, yeah, you don't. I agree. None of us can solve the problems of the world. Man, there's broken families out there. There's broken lives. There's people that are a mess. They're in sin. they're, They're entrenched. There's all kinds of physical needs and emotional needs and spiritual needs. And sometimes sometimes Christians just act like they're not there. They don't have compassion. We don't, they don't see it rightly. They're too focused on themselves or they're focused on their justice. And they're like, like Lord, send them away. But Jesus says, no, you, you go give them something to eat. You go give them the bread of life. And we're like, Jesus, I don't have nothing to give. What do you got? Well, I got a little bit of time and I got half a talent. <laughs> okay, bring it to me. Bring it to me. All right, now, now you go out. 
I blessed it. Now you go out. Come back when you're empty. Come back. Come back. Come back. That's a great picture of ministry, isn't it? I think some of us, we need to learn this lesson from these stories. You know, have you asked yourself, you know, we've been going through Mark. I mean, what's, what's Jesus trying to teach us? What's, why, why does the Bible want to tell us about him raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, healing the demoniac? Why, 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 what are we supposed to learn from this stuff? Jesus feeding 5,000. What are we supposed to learn? You know what I think we're supposed to learn? I think we're supposed to learn that we can trust Jesus in every circumstance. That he's everything we need. One more thing. You got time for one more thing? Just real quick. No, notice, notice this. Okay. After this passage, what happens? Can we keep reading? Let's just keep reading. Immediately. This is verse 45. He made his disciples get into the boat and to go to the other side, to Bethsaida. He dismissed the crowd. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. There he is, getting refreshed by the Lord again, by God. And, and when evening had come, the boat was out on the, on the sea. So the disciples are in the boat, and they're by themselves out in the sea. And he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. Man, they're in another struggle, you know. Look what it says. For the wind was against them. The wind's against them. They're having trouble. They're having a struggle. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Man, they're falling apart again, you know. How many times have we seen this? You know, man, they're out on the sea. The wind's against them. They're having trouble. They think they see a ghost and they, they completely fall apart. They're terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart in his eye. Don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. And now look at verse 52. Are you ready for this? For they did not understand about the loaves. The story we just read. But their hearts were hardened. Okay, what does that mean? You know why they fell apart in the boat? Because they didn't remember the loaves. You You know why they're terrified and falling apart and all stressed out and all, you know, freaking out? Because they, they didn't understand the loaves. What do you and I need to understand about Jesus? He's bread of life. He satisfies. He meets all of our needs. He's everything we need. So, so what should we learn from that? Well, as we get back in the boat and we go out and there's a windstorm and we can't row and it's painful and it's struggle and something scares everything out of us. What do we need to do? We need to not fall apart. We need to be at peace. We need to remember what Jesus just did. He's amazing control. He's everything I need. He's walking on the water. Well, that's to be expected. He's awesome, right? I mean, that's just interesting to me that, that it refers back to the fact that they, they weren't getting it. And I think sometimes we don't get it. We don't get who Jesus is. And that's why we fall apart during the trials. So I, I want to get it. I, I, I want to learn to trust him. I want to learn to embrace He's everything I need. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you that, that Jesus, you are the bread of life. You satisfy our souls. You, you, you complete everything in us. And Father, we need you. And Lord, we want to we be like the disciples. We want to bring what we have to you over and over again. We want to trust you, Lord, that you can bless it and send us out. And, and God, that, that we'll always have what we need to, to do what you've called us to do, to fulfill our mission. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, help us to embrace your character, your glorious deeds, 
your mission thrust upon us. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.